All right, welcome to the listener's commentary on the Gospel of Luke. My name is John Whitaker, and I'm glad you're joining me here on the listener's commentary. We believe that everybody should have access to the life-giving and life-changing wisdom of Jesus, so we've chosen to make the listener's commentary available as a free crowdfunded project that is made possible by the generosity of people just like you who donate on a regular basis to this ministry. So if you've been blessed by the listener's commentary, and if you've been helped by it in your Bible study and your following of Jesus, would you prayerfully consider becoming a ministry partner with us by donating to this ministry? You can find the link where to do that down in the notes below. All right, in this session, we're continuing to look at Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount. And we're looking specifically at Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36. In the opening section of the sermon, Jesus says that a genuinely blessed life is available only in his kingdom and that his kingdom is wide open to all, that he has an open door policy on his kingdom. And so you can be blessed if you come into Jesus' kingdom, regardless of what state of life you come from. Now, in this section, he calls his disciples to a radically different approach to life, an approach to life so unique that it it radically affects how we treat our enemies. And this approach cuts across the grain of conventional wisdom in the human order. The structure of this section is super important. So let me just summarize the structure before we get into the details. So verse 27 is the opening call to action that states the whole point of the section. So we need to keep that in front of us as we walk down through the whole section. So opening call to action that states the point in verse 27. And then underneath that, you have a a series of examples in verses 28 through 31. And then under that, you have a, a series of rhetorical questions to drive home the point in verses 32 through 34. And then verses 35 through 36, come back to the main point and restate that point. All right. So 27, uh, main point, 28 through 31, series of examples, 32 through 34, rhetorical questions to drive home the point, and then restate that point in verses 35 through 36. So with that, let's jump into verse 27 that gives the opening call to action and states that the main point of this section. This is what he says, verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Note the parallelism, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. That those two are saying essentially the same thing. And this reminds us that love does not equal feel warm feelings for or feel even lovingly towards, but actively do good for. So love your enemies means to actively do good for those who hate you. That's the idea. Loving your enemies means practicing active kindness towards them, just as God taught in the Old Testament. If you come across your enemy's ox or donkey, for example, wandering off, be sure to take it back to them. Exodus 23 verse 4. That is a concrete act of doing good for, helping them out, being loving for, right? So concrete acts of care and help is what it means to do good for people, be actively kind. Then verse 28 through 31 states a series of examples of what this could look like for us in our context. And 
There could be other examples, but these are the ones Jesus chooses to, to list off to get us thinking about what it looks like to love our enemies and to do good to those who hate us. So the first example he gives in verse 28 is this. Bless those who curse you. This is that other word for bless that we noted above when we were talking about the Beatitudes. This is the word bless that derives from the, the word that means to say good things about. But it's deeper than that and richer than that. To curse means to wish harm upon, to speak ill of you, and to want misfortune for you. That's the idea of to curse. And thus, to bless is the opposite of that. So it's not just to say good words about, but to want good for them, to even ask God to bring good into their life. And so Jesus then gives another example and mentions prayer next. So bless those who curse you, to, to want good for them. First example. Second example is to pray for them. Pray for those who are abusive to you. So as you love those who want to harm you, you and you do good to them, one of the good you can do for them is to pray for them, to pray for God to bless them, to pray for God to bring good things into their life. This is like Stephen in Acts chapter 7, as he's being stoned to death for being a follower of Jesus, praying for God to forgive those who are killing him and to not hold their sin against him. This is Jesus hanging on the cross, praying for God to forgive his murderers. It's asking for God to be merciful and kind to them. It's looking at their life and praying for God to bring his goodness, his mercy, his wisdom, his blessing into their life so that good things happen for them. So pray for those who are abusive to you. Verse 29, next example, whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. When he says, offer him the other also, this really refers to not being defensive, not attacking back, but instead remaining open, remaining soft, remaining vulnerable. Remember, this is an example of the main point, and the main point is doing good for people who are against you, who are opposed to you. That's terribly important for us because we could easily turn the other cheek sarcastically, or you could turn the other cheek by being passive-aggressive, or you could do it in a passive-aggressive sort of way. We could even do it legalistically, thinking I have to, but there's no genuine love within our heart that moves us to do good for them. This, in some way, is supposed to be an expression of doing good for and loving those who are against us. And so it involves not becoming hard, not becoming resentful, not becoming hostile back to them, but remaining soft, open to doing good for them however we can, right? It being willing to be vulnerable and find appropriate and good ways to be helpful to them and to do good for them. That's the idea. And so whoever hits you on uh, the cheek, offer him the other also. Like, still be willing to be helpful, still be willing and open and vulnerable before them to doing good for them in whatever way is wise and appropriate. Next example, whoever takes away your cloak, don't withhold your tunic either. 
here's a very practical down-to-earth sort of example from their culture. Your cloak was your outer garment that you wore over your tunic. The tunic was the inner garment. Uh, the cloak was one of the most important pieces of clothing. It, it would be used as a blanket at night to keep you warm. So the idea here is if somebody takes away your outer garment, your cloak, well, perhaps he needs your inner garment too. So see, ask him, see if he needs it. And if giving it to him would be helpful to him, then give it to him. Do good for those who harm you. Do that with whatever it is, your cloak or your ladder or your coat or whatever would be helpful to them. Verse 30 says this, give to everyone who asks you and whoever takes away what's yours, don't demand it back. So taking the example that he just gave about your cloak and tunic and now broadening it out to do it with whatever, do it with that whatever. Give to everyone who asks you. If someone asks you for something that they have legitimate need of, give it to them. Help them out. Be that kind of person. That's loving people and doing good for them. Whoever takes away what's yours, don't demand it back. So even if they they borrow something from you and, and they don't give it back and you can ask them for it, right? And, and Or if someone steals it from you, don't demand it back. Just assume they need it. Treat people the way you want them to treat you, which we have classically called the gold rule. Do for others what you want them to do for you. You choose how to act is the idea. Don't let their actions determine yours. Don't be reactive just because they're being mean-spirited, just because they're being unloving. doesn't mean you have to be. You choose how to act. By the Spirit, be transformed so fully into love that you love people and treat them the way you wish all people would treat you. They won't all treat you that way, but that doesn't matter to how you and I treat them. That's the point. Now, remember, the whole context, the main point in verse 27, is all about loving people and doing good for them, treating people with kindness. So what about, like, fill in whatever example you want. What about, well, prayerfully consider what's good for them genuinely seek how to do good for them. That's the goal. Don't get lost legalistically in these illustrations here that he's just given. They're simply that. They're illustrations to try to help us think about the kinds of things that would be involved in loving our enemies and doing good for those people who harm us. That's the idea. So you become so full of love that you instinctively and naturally do good for all people, even those who don't do good to you. Then in verses 32 through 34, Jesus gives a series of rhetorical questions designed to drive home the point. So verse 32 says, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive in return, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. The rhetorical questions is designed to say, look, don't just do good to people who it's easy to, who do good to you, who you like, right, and who are nice to you. Don't just do the reciprocal thing which was standard in their culture, is pretty standard in every culture. We just do the reciprocal thing. You do good to me, I do good to you. You're mean to me, I'm mean to you. That's sort of the way general conventional human wisdom works. Jesus is like, if you do that, 
what credit is there to you? And in fact, that word translated credit is actually charis in Greek, and charis is the word for grace. There's no grace in giving people what they deserve. There is no grace in merely reciprocating good for good, bad for bad. Grace is displayed in giving people what they don't deserve, doing good to all people, including those who haven't done anything to deserve it. In fact, they've done the opposite. They've done things to, to deserve retaliation. But you're so full of grace, you're so full of Jesus' kindness to you, that you're going to give kindness and grace to them. To all people, the good and the not so good. And then in verse 35 through 36, Jesus restates the main point of this section. He says this He says, But love your enemies and do good. Lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He Himself is kind to the ungrateful and evil people. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Notice the pattern. When we do good to those who don't do good to us, but instead do harm to us, what's our pattern? Our pattern is God. God is someone who does good to all people. He himself is kind to ungrateful people. He is kind to evil and mean people. He's merciful, so we're meant to be merciful. To be The son of, as Jesus says there, you will be sons of the Most High. To be the son of means to derive from and have the character of. And so to be the son of the Most High or the daughter of the Most High is to derive from him, derive your life from him, and to have the character of him. God is like this. He's good to evil and ungrateful people. We need to let him teach us how to do the same. Be merciful by being kind and helpful to ungrateful and evil people. That's the point. Now, as we wrap up the section, this teaching is radical, isn't it? It goes against the normal way of acting. Sometimes we're not even sure it's a good idea, right? Like if we're being honest, is Jesus really right about this? Does this really make sense? Does he really know what he's talking about? In fact, The Greek writer Lysias actually was so bold as just to state the exact opposite of Jesus. Lysias said, I consider it established that one should do harm to one's enemies and be of service to one's friend. I mean, for Lysias, that was just axiomatic. That was just the principle of life. And generally speaking, this has been customary for people throughout history. Even when we're ashamed to maybe be so bold as Lysias and just say it outright like that, we often practice it, don't we? And in fact, feeling ashamed about saying what Lysias said is a large degree to the result of the influence of Jesus' teaching. Western culture has been so influenced by what Jesus says in this section of his teaching that we've absorbed the goodness of it, and that makes us feel not right about coming out and saying what Lysias says. I mean, so we think we should at least pretend to be loving to our enemies. I mean, that's a good thing, at least to look like it. And that's because of the influence of what Jesus says here. But here's the thing. Jesus doesn't want us just to know it, or he doesn't even want us to acknowledge that, oh yeah, that would probably be a good thing to do. 
He actually wants and intends for us to do it. He intends to make us the kind of people who are so loving that we just routinely love all people, even those who aren't kind to us. And for that to happen, we have to be permeated with his love so fully and so completely that love is what comes out of us whenever we're turned upside down and shaken up by the people around us, even those people who aren't good to us. And that's the point of this section of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount.